Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 25th. It's finally over. I mean, there's a few events sprinkled here and there, but with the Davis Cup coming to a conclusion, most, if not all, of the 2019 season in the books for the tennis world. So many, you know, so many great events, so many great matches, so many storylines, results, controversies to talk about as we have done all year long on this podcast. And we will be recapping those things, looking ahead to 2020 moving forward. It's crazy, again, to think that 2020, only five weeks away, and we all know the tennis world never sleeps. But joining me to do a little bit of recapping from those year-end events, we are talking to two people today who are at the ATP World Tour Finals. I'm sure we'll cover Davis Cup as well and all of the makings of the 2019 season. Uh, Let's start with our first guest, who has a game so nice she became an all-conference player at Rice. Guaranteed to solicit a good retort if she's doing the sideline report. The last time we had her on the Cracked Rackets podcast network, she described herself as a cougar, and that is why I am so thrilled to bring back Blair Henley. Blair, welcome back to the Mini Break podcast. Thank you so much. The best intro I will probably ever get in my life, so thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, always an excuse to work in some poetry, but that other laugh you hear on the line, he has been dishing out all the advice you need to know with his patented tournament live show, a multifaceted menace bringing you all of the latest in skating and tennis. Though he may be far from an athletic marvel, we are thrilled, ladies and gentlemen, to bring you Nick McCarville. Nick, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast as well. Uh, Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Initially, I was jealous of Blair's Cougar, but I'm a a multifaceted menace. So I'll take, I win this one, Blair. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. Well, you know, there's that. a limited vocabulary you can rhyme the word tennis with. So it's like menace and that that's really Venice, but like you weren't in Venice. So that's what I got. Got it. Love it. Thanks. <laughs> We're happy to join you. <laughs> Of course, we've got the dynamic duo of social media when it comes to tennis Twitter. Obviously, I want to thank you both for taking the time to do this. I sent you some bothersome, you know, longer version of those listeners. I went six stances deep for one of them at Blair's request. And obviously, that is shows the depth of my desire to talk to you guys. And let's just start here. The year is over for both of you. Uh, you know, where are you guys at? How are you feeling? Nick, you want to start off? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, listen, I, I think, Alex, actually, it's just hours. We're recording this. I, I think I can say it's just hours um, into the postseason, into the off season, with um, Davis Cup just finishing. And Rafael Nadal, I just tweeted about him the first week of the season being in Brisbane, and he had his knee injury, and we weren't sure if he was going to play. And um, he finishes the year as Davis Cup champ, as year-end number one, as a two-time slam winner. I don't think really anyone had that um, forecast for Rafa this year. Um, and I just look at 2019, and I know both Blair and I love a story, and this season was full of them. I mean, we had plenty of it 
off the court, but, you know, looking at Canada being runner up at Davis cup um, and then reflecting on what an incredible season it's been for Bianca Andreescu, even though we're a little removed from the end of the WTA season. I, um, I think that we've had a plethora of great stories and I think that we've got a lot to look forward to come 2020. Yeah, that was a, that was a good summation, Nick. I mean, I think in some ways it was, fitting to finish with Davis Cup because it was the Wild West in in Gerard Piquet's year one in, in <laughs> Piquet Cup, as people were calling it. I mean, it was tough to find a way to watch it. I'll be the first one to say that. I mean, you had media complaining. The apps were glitchy. You had matches finishing at 4 a.m., emotional press conferences, Feli hoisting Rafa up in the air, I think. And then, of course, it finished with this amazing final and Rafa on the ground and, and really wrapping up what was an absolutely incredible season for him. And I think just watching him compete was one of my highlights of the year, really, because it is just so incredible to see what he leaves out on the court. And so in some ways, finishing with Davis Cup and champion Spain playing in Madrid was kind of like a great way to wrap it up. And I actually think, you know, people will probably leave wondering, was it a success? Was it not? But I think there was enough intrigue and there were enough interesting things happening, whether or not they were positive or negative. But I actually think it, it built a foundation where people are thinking, okay, what is it going to look like with one year under its belt in this new format. So I, I thought it was a great way to finish it off and congrats to Spain. And I can only say this one thing, if there is no footage leaked of team Spain celebration, I am going to be very, very upset <laughs> because for any tennis fans who know that is some, uh, some tennis internet gold is uh, team Spain celebrating. I'm not sure which Davis cup championship uh, it was after, I don't know, you guys probably know what I'm talking about with Rafa dancing on tables and it was just great. So I'm really hoping we get round six of that. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I turned 21 not that long ago, so I don't think my mom <laughs> let me see that content beforehand. But I was sitting at their home this weekend, and I know she'll listen, so she'll appreciate this. Thank you to her. I discovered they have FS2. So I was able to watch like some of the Davis Cup unexpectedly. I like searched it in Xfinity, and that was, uh, you know, a delight for me. But you're absolutely right, Blair. The idea that Davis Cup kind of in, uh, embodies the social, political, economic, whatever you want to say, difficulties and strengths of this 2019 season from the team aspect and how fans seem to be gripping towards. Uh, that sort of format. They really seem to enjoy it between Labor Cup, Fed Cup, uh, Hotman Cup at the beginning of the year. That is a direction maybe we will see tennis head. But to the Rafa Nadal point, Nick, uh, you mentioned the fact that he started the year. I think I saw the tweet, and that's what inspired the text to you guys to say, hey, we're going to sneak in some Davis Cup, is that you're right. For Rafa, you think because he, he got his first slam win, what, 2005, 2006, that he's closer to Federer's age than Djokovic. But he's a year older than Djokovic, and tennis-wise, you know, it's like he's aged in dog years. Everything's worth seven because of how much he puts in physically on the court. But to see him end the year ranked number one, to see him end the year in the fashion, beating Denis Shapovalov, who ended the year as strong as any of the next-gen guys, to see him fighting off that generation, it makes you think about this past decade. And Djokovic may have more slams, but him and Rafa neck-and-neck in terms of the best ATP players of the decade. Yeah, totally. And I think actually what's sort of um, significant in talking about that, Alex, is when 
when Djokovic lost uh, in London, I think this is right, when Djokovic lost to Federer on Thursday night, Rafa then had to play Pass on Friday. And even if he beat Pass on Friday, um, he wasn't guaranteed a semifinal spot. Now, we all know that he ended up winning and, and beating Pass, finishing the year as number one. But that was already locked in. And, you know, then, of course, Sparov won that night, so he didn't make the semis. I say all of that because um, Rafa didn't really have to play on Friday afternoon. <laughs> um, and I think that he has continued to show everyone that he's got just these reserves and this level of Nadalness that, uh, you know, sometimes I think maybe his team feels like it's a slight that we're talking about what a great fighter he is because it maybe that's taking a little bit away from his tennis but i mean in addition to his tennis is he is this absolute beast and gladiator out on the court and then for him to go to madrid and you you know regardless what his appearance fee there's a lot of talk of <laughs> rafa's appearance fee to play in madrid this week it doesn't matter he he went out there i, I don't think he lost a match this week guys i think i'm right in saying that mm -hmm. And, you know, just his continue giving of his body and his heart, you know, I think they're going to have to take a big look at the 2020 calendar and make sure that he doesn't have to pull out of as many events as he has in the past. I think that's maybe the one little stain. But, you know, he walks away with two majors. Um, the, the one little added storyline that I'm curious about for 2020 and the Davis Cup is what happened, what would have happened to Davis Cup if Spain was knocked out in the group stage or if Spain lost in the quarterfinals, because I think you're right, Blair. I think that it was a great event. I think there's a lot to build on. I know that, you know, PK and that whole team, they're going to build from year one. It's never easy to do year one, but I, I just wonder a little bit, say next year, Spain doesn't feel as strong of a team. How is the cup going to stand on its own two feet? Yeah, that's a, Great question. Uh, I think it, it was the perfect. If you're one of the organizers, it couldn't have ended any better. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and find out. I'm very curious because, I mean, when you look at the LTA and, and Andy Murray giving away tickets to try to get Brits to come out and support them, would that be an issue that kind of bled over if you didn't have the home team in the final? So, yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I'm interested to see what that looks like and also – with the addition of the ATP Cup in January? And is there going to be another layer of burnout by the end of next season? We will we will have to wait and see. TV rights aside, because you'd think going through the setup of a tournament, and it's year one, you want to give uh, Gerard Piquet and his crew some slack, but like you'd be like, hey, how are, how are people in America going to see it? And that'd be one of the first questions. You know, how are people around the world going to see it? And yes, that was an issue, but despite it being this late in the year uh, to both of you, Blair and Nick, I still felt the tennis Twitter community, uh, those who were able to follow the match, I know Madrid, I think it only sold out three times and they were all Spain matches, but... It seemed to be successful tennis-wise. It seemed like the players have bought into the format. They like the idea of it all being in one week. And I, I don't know. I'm curious from both of your perspectives. Again, you've seen, you've been to all of these tournaments. The fact that there wasn't a huge crowd in year one, is that a big concern for them moving forward? Um, I, I, yeah, I I think a little bit. I mean, only because, and my point is that, you know, if Spain isn't successful in, in the future years, then where do you draw those fans from? 
And Blair makes the point of Andy Murray tweeting out, you know, giving away tickets, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I, th I think that's a big reflection. But, you know, Blair and I have been around the world at different events. Ticket sales are tough. And this was mm -hmm. an event that was very controversial, right? The bringing together of all these nations, the taking away of the home and away tie. And Spain sort of <laughs> spoiled us by getting as far as they did. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's going to be really big and I don't, I'm curious to know your thoughts, Blair, but I think it's going to be really big for them to figure out how they market better, how they get people, especially from those European countries to come in, um, you know, for the week, for the weekend. A and yeah, I mean, I was probably a little fatigued from working the ATP finals. I, I watched it a little bit. I didn't watch any of it live. I don't have FS2. Um, I did try it at one point to watch on Rakuten, and I failed. I, I'm not very good at technology in general, but um, I thought that, that you could watch it in the States on Rakuten. Maybe I, I misunderstood that. Um, but, yeah, I, I just I feel in general like a, a little bit of a fatigue. I didn't really tweet about it. I definitely followed it in general this week, but it didn't have me gripped um, the way that, say, like the Australian Open in seven weeks' time is going to have me gripped. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to add to that, except with when you talk about the burnout. It was funny because you have uh, Erber and Mahu who just won uh, after last year. They um, they had match points, didn't win. This year they have a, this up and down season. They break up, they get back together, they win the whole thing. <laughs> They're celebrating with their massive team in the locker room. And I did, um, I think, one of their first post-match interviews right after. And, you know, the, I asked how they were going to celebrate. And they're like, well, we're off to, <laughs> you know, we're, we're off to play some more tennis. And it was just really, it's just hard to imagine that because it does have such a sense of finality at the ATP finals. Just to think that these people are going to play more. It's just really hard to imagine um and i think for some of the fans it is i think it's just marketing grassroots marketing can you market more in the countries that you want to see make an appearance in madrid i don't know i don't know the answer but but yeah i mean it's it's a challenge yeah, i was gonna just say with labor cup I also and just, it's a little sorry, bit yeah. earlier on during the year or, or earlier on a little bit closer to the u.s open obviously than this which is after the atp world tour finals but it's a similar pool of players that the two events will draw from and that those events are only over a weekend but they've never had an issue with a crowd there so so is it a pool of players? Is it the location? Uh, I feel like these are all things that, yeah, I would like to give it some time to see bear out because should Roger Federer, we see him now, him and Zverev on their tour, they're selling out everywhere. Maybe if Federer was in Spain this week, all of Switzerland's matches sell out and it just ups the numbers. Yeah, that was kind of a little bit of the point. I, the point I was going to make is that I think that the Davis Cup is always going to be a little bit tied to the ATP finals location-wise because you, these players have to get from one place to another. So Blair saying Eber Mahu, well, so did Nadal. So did a, a good host of Cabal Farah. So did a lot of these guys. They went from one to the next. So I think that's going to be a, a little bit of a um, another issue that Davis Cup will have to figure out with the finals is staying somewhat close to ATP finals because of the schedule. And Alex, it's, it's not a matter <laughs> of drawing certain players. It's one player. It's Roger. And 
you know, the fact, the, the, the bigger question, and Blair and I have both done Labor Cup, is what does Labor Cup look like when Roger Federer isn't on the roster? Now, he's he's always going to be part of it, right? He's going to be a captain. He's going to be whatever. But when he and Sasha Zverev draw 40,000 people in Mexico City the same few days of the Davis Cup, like, it's him. And so I think Davis Cup has to not, they have to operate in a sense that, Sure, it'd be great if Roger Federer plays Davis Cup in the future, but you can't count on you just can't count on him at this point. So you have to figure out how to market your event to to fans, and that's a that's going to be a challenge. Actually, you know, in the coming year when feels these like great at a minimum, Roger Federer comes in and plays like a ceremonial night one totally. match. Yeah, just like every year, he could do it at forty five. <laughs> He'll look great for Labor Cup. I mean, for sure. I think I think if it's going to help them make more money, I absolutely think Roger Federer is going to be out on the court for as long as humanly possible yeah, when it comes to uh, half the fun. When it comes I, I to mean, Labor Cup, for yeah, sure. For, for these events, Roger Federer is a key name. You have to wonder, Rafa Djokovic may uh, they're they're near the circle, if not in there. But yeah, if it's Alex Zverev versus you know any any other Daniil Medvedev, they're not selling out the crowd the way they do. I absolutely agree with you, Nick. Um, I don't know. I guess it, it was fun. I guess, Blair, any final thoughts on Davis Cup outside of Rafa? Things you enjoyed that they did? Maybe it, it felt like we got to see inside of these teams because they were all together for a week. You got to feel that camaraderie more than, you know, when it's six weekends over seven months. I, I thought the Team Serbia press conference was was pretty raw and, and fascinating oh. to watch. Um, oh. Obviously, a lot of there were a lot of different factors there at play you had player you know Janko Cipsarevich playing his his last Davis Cup you had uh, Victor Troitsky feeling like he had let his team down you had Novak Djokovic who uh, appeared to to pass I don't know if his elbow is still bothering him there was a moment actually in London where he hit a shot I'm, I'm forgetting which match it was maybe Nick I don't know if you remember but he winced in pain and ended up I think it might have been against uh Federer uh, and so I, I don't know how his elbow is. There were just a lot of emotional factors heading into that press conference. And it was just kind of a moment that we don't see that often uh, in the press room from tennis players. And I thought that was really kind of a neat. It was it was a sad moment, but it was a real moment. And I think it's nice when fans kind of get a glimpse at that kind of thing. Um, obviously, I loved <laughs> I loved the celebrations. I love Rafa jumping into anyone's arms that's that are available. Um, Marcel Grenier struggled a bit with, with the weight of Rafa. Feliciano Lopez was more prepared. Um, so those those sorts of things are a whole lot of fun. I loved Team Canada. I mean, Vashik Pospisil and Denis Shapovalov. I mean, loving life out there. It was just fun to watch. I love that kind of stuff. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, I totally agree. And that, to me, Blair's point actually ties to yours, Alex, is that the players are invested. And so, 
you know, whether or not we're going to see Roger or Rafa or Novak year in and year out, you look at someone like Andy Murray, you look at Team Russia, you look at the Canadians, you look at how much, as Blair says, it meant to the Serbians. They, if they're invested, they're going to make the event. And that's where you have to feel good if you're an organizer, is your players are invested. And that was the question with Labor Cup, right? The first year we saw it is like, well, what the hell is this? Like, how, how is this going to work? Uh, do the players actually care? I'm playing for Team World. What the F is Team World? And so for Davis Cup, they don't have to wonder who they're playing for. They're playing for their country. But now in this new format, to see the players as invested as they were, I think that was a big win for Davis Cup. And Blair's right. It was kind of this perfect storm of the social media sharing. And they had these big, beautiful locker rooms. I, th I heard there was a lot of cornhole and uh, ping pong. And, you know, the players really sort of bonding with one another and I think that the event then has to figure out how to sort of continue to highlight that to get the fans through the door too yeah I would say that it was this successful from a player turnout or that the players bought in despite the fact that there was no Federer no Zverev no Medvedev but still Team Russia you know just so many young fantastic ATP talents on the, the on the Russia side so they're going to be a strong team for years to come that we see a team in Canada emerging Shapovalov capitalizing on his strong year-end finish uh, utilizing that to play well here it was great but you know you talked about it earlier I think it was Nick who mentioned uh, and you both have mentioned how the World Tour Finals, you know, so close in proximity to this event. And given that you both were at those World Tour Finals, we'll transition into winners and losers in a second. But from the guys who played both events, we talked about Nadal's Herculean effort as usual, but guys who, you know, Dominic team not playing that event. Um, I'm trying to think who he played in the final. God, at this point, it's all Zverev not playing the event. Federer not playing the event. Uh, I don't, I, I, did Berrettini play the event in Italy lost early? I think he may have played. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he played. So yeah, for you guys, do you think that will always be an issue that Davis Cup? That's the you know the first workaround. Do you think these top eight players who play the World Tour Finals fatigue at that point for them is just always going to be a factor? Yes, I, I do. I'm, that's why I made the point earlier about that they need to be physically close. Um, you know, unless you're going to put a buffer week, and then the argument becomes for the other players is that you extend their seasons another week but to me just those back-to-back -back events that that's just really tough on everyone yeah and it just depends on whether or not how strong the team connection is and and how valuable that is to a player and you know i can't answer that depends on depends on their list of priorities sure and you mentioned appearance fee there's always a number or at least for me at this yes. point for, maybe not for Federer. at this point he's like nah I'll get it elsewhere, uh, but for, for some players. And I, I'm curious for you because, again, transition to these World Tour Finals for people who you know got to see it from afar. You watch some of those. Rafa Nadal comes back down from 5-1 in the third against Medvedev. Tsitsipas is playing three-set matches all week long. The level of tennis looks so great on TV, but in person, Blair, do you see these players hurting? Do, can you feel the physical wear maybe from their body language, just the way they're carrying themselves throughout the week? You know, I sure didn't see it with Tsitsipas, uh, and maybe that's why he ended up hoisting the trophy at the end. He he looked fresh as a daisy uh, from beginning to end, but I did see that uh, with Novak Djokovic. Um, I think, I don't know if you could say you saw that with, with Federer in the semis against Tsitsipas. I feel like it was more more mental fatigue, if anything, in that match. Um, 
Medvedev, maybe. I, I don't think anybody would have really, really thought that he would have gone 0-3. I mean, Nick, did you? Would you have predicted that coming in? No, no, and I think you're right, Blair. I think Medvedev, to me, was the only one that felt fatigued on the ground. Yeah, yeah and I mean, uh, by the way, with, with the Medvedev, I, looking at that match, the law, his first loss to uh, Pass, where he's 5-0 and against Steph, he comes in not only 5-0, and but with the mental edge. There had been words exchanged. He He seemed to kind of be swimming in Tsitsipas's dome a little bit um and then <laughs> to to borrow to borrow a phrase yeah. i had some uh, baseball friends who, who used that term which i always love like the, the visual of somebody swimming <laughs> in your head but that's that's how that match felt going in and so not only did Tsitsipas get the win but i feel like he, he got a bit of a mental foothold as well which i think is is pretty valuable going into i, I think that's a rivalry we all think we're going to see a lot more of in the years to come so i think that that win in particular may have taken its toll on medvedev more in you know that may have led to his what we saw kind of mental weakness really in the third set against uh rafa and then in his final match just never really seemed to be 100 percent there mentally uh, and i don't know how much that first match played into that yeah i i thought it was i thought medvedev Alex, to answer your question, he was the one that really felt fatigued. I think, you know, you just never know that he he played what eighty matches this season. I mean, he just didn't know he's going to be that successful. <laughs> and whereas you saw Cisapas and Dominic Team as well, the two finalists, they both sort of had mid-season lulls. The they were able to sort of recalibrate for the fall. And so Dominic Team finishes the season really well. So does Cisapas. Um, it did feel like Medvedev was a little fatigued. And there were a lot of question marks around Rafa and his body coming into the finals. Obviously, the abdominal tear. We were never quite sure exactly what it was. I think it was a tear. Um, uh, Blair would know better than you and I, but I don't know how you play that much tennis off of a torn abdomen. Um, no idea. With a torn abdomen. Um, but I... Uh, I don't think Rafa had played much tennis in practice coming in. I think that's why he was so flat against Zverev that first match. Um, but otherwise, no, I, I actually felt like I hadn't been to the O2 to the ATP finals in five years as a journalist. And I think some of the fans were saying it's lost a little bit of its luster in London because it's year 11. Next year's year 12. It's the last event. But I actually felt like as an event, as a tournament, as a, you know, the part, the, the doubles, the singles, like I felt like everyone was all systems go from the word play. Um, and maybe that was me with a little bit of rose colored glasses because I hadn't been there in a while, but um, it felt like everyone, you know, Rafa was chasing number one, Novak wanted it too. And then you had these four, you could argue five sort of up and coming guys who were trying to prove that the big three aren't just, you know, the big three, that they have the chance to, and, you know, we saw that storyline play out. So, yeah, I, I thought the energy was pretty high. Um, and maybe you could argue Cabal Farah had some mental letdown from their season too, even though they somehow made the semis. Well, we all know that you can't walk into any stadium anymore without Alex Zero declaring it his f***ing house. So, yeah, the big there's obviously the big three story as well. He, 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 he yeah. did do that. I have too. to tell you, though, can I just can I just give one, uh, give a little boost to, to sure. Dominic Team, who in his in that incredible match, his win over Novak Djokovic in the second set, it was he may have just gotten the break. I'm trying to remember the exact scenario, but he pulled a little Sasha Zverev <laughs> to the crowd. 
he he now he did not use any profanity on the court. Uh, but he he did the arms up and he asked for the applause. And I loved to see that out of Dominic Team because I feel like sometimes on the biggest stages, I you kind of get the feeling that he shrinks back just a little bit. And so to see him kind of own the stage like that to me says big things about his mentality right now and what he's capable of in 2020. So I that was a moment that sticks out to me when I look back at it. Loved that. Um, but when you talk, of course, about Sasha Zverev doing his now signature move, it made me think of that because it was <laughs> Sasha Zverev-esque. And can we just add to that, Blair, too, that, I mean, it's hard to say, Alex, you know, many negative things about most of these players. They're usually, especially for us, great to deal with as interviewers, as on-court hosts, as social media um, reporters. But Dominic Team and his entire camp are the most, um, they are so well-spoken. He is so agree agreeing on anything you need to do. And then I love that there's that balance of he loses none of his warrior out on court. And I think Nicholas Massou has done such a good job of bringing that out, of stoking that fire that Gunter Bresnik started in him some like 15 years ago. And I, I think that that's part of the point you're making, Blair, is that he he did have a little bit of Zverev in him in that match. Yeah. But I love it. And I think that we're going to see more of that from team in 2020 when he wins his first major. Ooh. Uh, Bold predictions, Nick like Carvel. I mean, why? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, one, yeah, no <laughs> one listens to this. Don't worry. Um, but in terms of, I mean, that could be either a winning or a losing prediction, which means it might be time to get into the winners and losers if you're feeling that strongly about team coming out of it, Nick. Uh, that was a poor segue. I apologize. But Westoff, give me some sort of winners and losers sound effect, please. Um, so with that in mind, and I know, again, I want to be conscious of both of your time so we can go through this quickly. Blair, we'll start with you. Uh, for Dominic Team. Uh, I mean, he, him making the final here, playing CT Pass, uh, beating, but beating Federer and Djokovic back to back. You know, no one does that. So huge moment for him. But any other winners and losers from your week in London? I mean, this is this is going to be a self-serving winner, but <laughs> Stefano Tsitsipas was so. I have never, and I, I tweeted this as well, but I have never seen a player so relaxed from the very beginning of an event to the very end. I, I mean, starting from media day on the boat, which is an unusual media day setup, <laughs> and when they told me that they wanted to have him do a quote-unquote secret mission where he had to run around the boat and get selfies with Roger and Rafa and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I don't think he's going to say yes to this. Well, I was happy to eat crow. Not only did he say yes, he grabbed the list out of my hand and starts and took off, uh, started running. What are we going to do first? And was just so incredibly chill and relaxed. And there was a part of me that felt that he was just kind of happy to be there. But he said in that media day, they did kind of a little private uh, Q&A. And he said, yes, I'm happy to be here, but I want to win, too. And it was just a really neat mix of being chill and laid back. We did a walk and talk. We talked about his favorite candy, which is uh, Haribo peaches, uh, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, we, talk, we talked about more than just that. But he just was so relaxed. And then in our, our post-match, right after he had won, right after they had popped the champagne in, in what they call the fab room at the O2 Arena, which is where all the artists go for the after party, um, but, you know, there's champagne everywhere. And he just was 
absolutely delightful, but also thoughtful, um, which is all you can ask for as a journalist. Uh, and you really hope to get something new and different for the fans. And so that was a really long-winded way of saying he is not only the winner of the tournament, but <laughs> a winner in terms of just showing us a little piece of himself that was really, I thought, interesting and hopefully gave the fans something they hadn't seen before. Nick, I want to get to your list in a second, but since I was going to bring this up, you got to be on the boat. And just watching the content from afar, that looked like an absolute blast. But I've never seen, you know, a tennis media day done through that manner. So, Blair, give us some stories from the boat. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I will say most of their time on the boat was spent in this miniature little horseshoe booth where they shot that BBC breakfast segment, uh, which was, by the way, much longer than anyone thought. We were told, you know, get on. BBC has them for, you know, 15 minutes. You get them, you know, we'll have a half an hour to work with. Well, they were in that mini horseshoe booth for much longer <laughs> than 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of fascinating to see, you know, you, you guys saw the little clip of Roger, Roger and Rafa talking and, mm. you know, a little behind the scenes as we were uh, running across, running from one end of the boat uh, to the other, trying to accomplish this mission for Steph. He had, I can't remember, he had to get, oh, it was when he had to get a player to post a picture, a selfie of him and said player on their social media. And <laughs> Daniil is standing literally right there. And I said, how, we, we could go, Daniil, maybe? And he gave me this this stare of death. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, just, just throwing it out. He's the convenient choice, but let's find someone else. Um, and of course, uh, Novak Djokovic, Grace, you know, it was so nice of him to uh, to do that. And they obviously encouraged me to get in the photo, which I'm still mortified by. Um, but anyway, that whole... <laughs> I, I was. I, I was standing there ready to, you know, like, yes, you guys go. And they were like, no, you come in the photo. I was like, no, no, no. They're like, absolutely. <laughs> so, and and there you have it, the, uh, the boat selfie. But yeah, I mean, I think it was just fun. Uh, Annabelle Croft did a private Q&A with the players for some sponsors there as well. So it's a pretty laid back atmosphere. Um, and then you hop off the boat and they do their photo that the iconic photo and then they head in for press conferences but yeah i mean it makes it a little bit different i will say that oh i, I can only imagine life on the boat i mean i guess the losers are the bbc the breakfast set I, if they're in there for 20 to 30 they're the, they're the winners yeah, they're the real they're, winners. They, they got they got the gold content for <laughs> sure um don't ask me how it ended up being that long but congratulations bbc because you got you got what everybody wanted to see and that was all the players at the same table <laughs> I was a loser in that situation, Alex, because I wasn't invited on the <laughs> Well, we have that in common, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I was there, dude. You were in America. So. No, actually, I honestly didn't even know that that was happening. And then, I mean, I think because I was prepping for Media Day to do some ATP radio interviews um, once they got to site. Maybe I knew that they were going on the boat. I don't know. Um, I did take the boat to work one day, which was awesome on the town. The last thing you want um, when you're stuck on a boat is a multifaceted menace. You're just wreaking havoc. Yes. This is, this is so true. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm trying to think. Like, Yeah, I, I mean, losers. I did have several people tweet into me that they felt like the event had lost a little bit of its luster within London, like maybe that they weren't going all in the way they had in years past. But 
I think Blair would attest to it too. Like maybe there were a couple sessions that weren't quite all the way full, but like the crowds were amazing. Mm -hmm. And I thought the crowd was exceptional on Sunday for the final for Sisa Pass and team when you had 50% of them chanting Sisa Pass and 48% of them chanting Dominic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they were just like so passionate. It's the second time in the last three years that we haven't had any of the big three in the final. Um, after the Gofan Dimitra final in 2017, and and that crowd I heard was really good too. So, um, I, I mean, for me, I did all the doubles post match interviews, Alex, for the World Feed on court, um, and I thought Herbert and Mahu by far were the winners, and they <laughs> they proved that they were the only the only tennis players to go undefeated throughout the week. Um, did they lose a set? I don't think they lost I don't a think set. So. Um, I mean, they were incredible, and as Blair said, they had a, a roller coaster year. Um, I interviewed I interviewed Pierre Oog's dad after, and as to Blair's point, um, he mentioned that they were going to an event next week, and I thought in his English that he had forgot <laughs> that what Davis Cup was called, and then I realized I'm just kind of nodding at him, holding a microphone in his face. I realized that he was pointedly not saying Davis Cup because of all the sort of vitriol that. France feels in the new format. But um, yeah, I mean, kind of going back to the point of like, has it overstayed its welcome in London? I don't know. Look at the crowds. Like, that's to me, the event is still a winner. Um, maybe London gets a little bit of an L card for the way that they treated Novak Djokovic once again with Roger mm -hmm. Federer. But like, that's just the way that's Federer. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's any more. Um, pointed for Roger and against Novak than it was, say, in those couple U.S. Open finals they played in the last few years. So, um, yeah, I, I I thought it was a great week. I, I mean, I know that I think sometimes Blair and I get criticized because we usually work for events, and we're, of course, going to say good things about them. But from a tennis event perspective, um, yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was a winning event itself overall. And I will tell you the production value. This was my, it was my first time going. I have never seen a more impressive walkout ever. <laughs> I mean, am I, am I forgetting Nick? Am I forgetting one that stands out? It was, it, they have the LEDs on the ground on these doors that open. They have the, the dry, they have the smoke and the dry ice. It is, it is just really the, the music, the heartbeat sound, the video as the players are walking through the corridor. They do a really good job of, driving that excitement heading into the match and so it's it really is like a full experience if you come to the o2 and watch a tennis match there i really do feel like if you're local it would be worth going and seeing it live because they really it really is an experience uh, a sensory experience from beginning to end um and that was really cool for me to see for the first time up close and personal Blair, you've obviously never watched the WTA event in St. Petersburg. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Are there any dancers? No. Um, the dancers, no the Hollywood The dancers. No, That's true. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's a great. That is a great point. My apologies to St. Petersburg. Um, but uh, and one more winner that we have to talk about is uh, Jules Roger and his outfits uh, this week. Oh, okay. Uh, Roger and Takao fame. Um, they. Did they? I'm trying to think. They just missed out on the yeah. semis, correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, just missed out on that, but all week long, he had. Well, he started off with a 
full on outfit of palm leaves, which he said was an ode to the approaching off season, specifically the Maldives. And then that shifted to his, his game day outfit, which was I think seven or eight different versions of the queen of England's face on his shirt, (laughs) which (laughs) You may never see another shirt like that. Um, He doesn't, he was saying he doesn't tell Horia Takao what the shirt is going to be before he walks out in the court. (laughs) He said Horia at this point just kind of rolled his eyes. He's like, listen, we've been playing together for forever. He knows what to expect. He knows it's going to be ridiculous. Um, But those two and really the teams that have been on the double side, the teams that have, have, had consistency together and who have been together, of course, the, the Colombians and the Frenchmen and the new German team of Kravitz and Mies who are absolutely delightful. Yeah. Those, and, yeah and with the, with the impending retirement of the Bryan brothers, you kind of look at doubles and, and look to see who's going to step up. And I really do think there are some really fantastic teams and fantastic representatives for doubles as a whole that are out there. And I hope, and I think it's really the tour's, kind of responsibility, and I think we did a little bit of that in London, is to kind of get to know those teams and find out why they're so much fun. And, I mean, we played heads up with all the doubles teams, and it was absolutely hysterical. (laughs) Um, I mean, if you can imagine Marcelo Mello singing Yellow Submarine (laughs) to Lukas Kubat trying to get him to guess the Beatles, and by the way, he failed. Um, Spoiler alert. He (laughs) did not know what he was going for, but that's the kind of stuff when you look at who's going to step up and really kind of lead on the doubles front. There were a lot of great teams there as well. So winners on the double side as well. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Yeah, I agree. Uh, It was just a really fun event. You talked about why the tennis was so good. If I was to throw in a loser, it might have to be Gael Monfils, who travels all that way, and it's like, I don't even get to play. Like, isn't Nadal supposed to be hurt? Djokovic's elbow's hurt. Like, let me in. And, like, no, instead it's just a week in London. Well, so, Blair, uh, do you want to give a little Monfils anecdote on that, off of that, though? Um, Yes, I have, gosh. Well, first of all, (laughs) let me just tell you, he had the time of his life. He 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 had a great time, Alex. (laughs) He really did. (laughs) Um, I appreciate you sparing a thought for Gail, but he was having, he did a tour video for us. And I mean, he did the opening in three different languages other than English, just to mess with the cameraman, like was having a great time. Um, we also shot a, a trick shot video with him, um, where it was interesting. He went in and said, Oh yeah, this will be easy. And then a few shots in, we had a guy feeding him. He was trying to recreate his hot shots from this year. <laughs> He's like, it's, it's not so easy. It's like, it's the, it has to be the perfect and the perfect moment it's really not so easy so anyway that we we got what we needed uh, after being on the court longer than we thought but but my um my last gail anecdote and this is the best one is that, that after it was all said and done because i think they released the they released the alternates i think on the saturday uh first day of semis i believe so anyway that's the day that he was heading out for whatever reason and we got a text in our kind of little content room that he wanted 
where are we? Because he wanted to personally thank us for a great week. And I mean, Nick, how many times has that ever happened where a player wants to thank you for the times that you used them to create content? Literally zero. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't happen. So anyway, it, it was just a really neat moment. We went and said goodbye. He was with Alina, Spitalina, and so said goodbye to them both. Best of luck. Uh, you know, see you next year. It was just really, really nice, and it's not something you see often. So he is just a delight. All right. We'll switch him to the winner category. I, I apologize, there Gail. You, you are a winner. Well, then I'll sneak into You mentioned Mahout Herbert. I mean, there are a lot of get-togethers and breakups this year from a coaching perspective. There always are from a doubles perspective. But through it all, they always persist as the couple of the year. Um, and then I'm not sure if he's a winner or a loser. And I don't know him personally, but I'm quite fond of his work. So I say this lovingly. Uh, uh, obviously, Matteo Berrettini is going to be a stud, and with him being a stud, part of his team, Craig O'Shaughnessy at Brain Game Tennis, going to get a lot of camera time. I need a bald head shining from him. As a fellow man with a diminishing hairline, I need that that head shining through, Craig, because he's getting a lot of camera time during these Berrettini matches. What, what do you want? You want his head to be shinier? What are you asking? Oh, I'm saying if you're going to be bald, own it. And, like, I feel like he just is – he's a little okay. back and forth right now. He's not embracing it. Okay, Alex, I'll pass that message on to <laughs> okay? I appreciate – look, again, if, it's coming from a place of love. I empathize. Send, send a little video message on our text group, and I'll show it to Craig in Australia. How's that? Amazing. Should it be a poem? Should it make it a poem? Uh, yes, please. Of course. All right. Sure. And I, I'll do it recently. Cause the real reason I'm projecting is because I had a terrible haircut go wrong this week. And like I went to get an oil change after I pull up and I lower the window and the guy's like, how can I help you? And I was like, sir, I just need a second. Like I had a traumatic moment with my hair. I, and so it all <laughs> spiraled out. So I'm just projecting. Um, but yeah, winner and loser because Berrettini's a hit. But like I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that. Uh, somehow we talked about Craig O'Shaughnessy's hair on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, or lack of hair. Um, but I actually thought from uh, Berrettini, it was uh, sort of the quintessential learning experience. I think he felt humbled by Djokovic in that first match. Um, it was, you know, it's just a matchup that's tough for him. But um, I think Berrettini's going to take it all in his, you know, long Italian stride. And he, there's no way that he thought he was going to be in London this season. I mean, I interviewed him yeah. in Rome, and I suggested to him that maybe he would play in Torino, you know, next year, or excuse me, in a couple years, three or four years down the road. And he he laughed at me because he didn't even think that he could make the year-end finals in a couple years' time. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously the U.S. Open has a lot to do with that, but... Um, I, I really am a big fan of Berrettini because of the way that I've watched his game grow in just the short time that I've really been hyper aware of his talent. Um, and yeah, I thought, you know, even though it's sort of a, a tough week for that camp, um, and I thought that was great that he got the win over Dominic team. Uh, team wasn't a hundred percent for that match. He actually had a, a pretty bad cold for a few days in London. He moved hotels to be closer to the arena um yeah i i think it's a uh a, a sort of a, a walking away with the positives for berrettini for his whole camp craig o'shaughnessy included <laughs> for sure and who knows yannick sinner might be joining matteo berrettini uh in the italian camps sooner than we thought 
That's a good Davis Cup team. We talked about it earlier. Them, the Russians, the Canadians, God willing, the Americans. Uh, I'm I'm all in. Like it's, there's a lot of fun young talented teams. Um, well, again, I I don't. If we go into all of the highlights of the 2019 season, something I did want to ask you guys. We'll be here for another hour. So rather than do that to wrap this up, I will ask and for both of you guys. We'll start with Blair and then go to Nick, and then we can wrap up. Uh, Blair, you know, uh, you kind of mentioned this on the top, but if you were to summarize your 2019 experience, the highs, the lows through it all, you know, when you're reflecting back on this season, uh, what will you remember? And then same question to you, Nick. Oh, this is a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, 60 minutes start now. <laughs> um, well, I got to say, the fact that my season somewhat began with Dennis Shapovalov rapping and finished with <laughs> Stefano Tsitsipas singing, I'm so excited oh. and I just can't hide it. I feel like you can't ask for two better bookends to a season and everything that came in between, the fact that I got to do just, just a lot of events where I looked around and said, this is really awesome. And I am so thankful that I have the chance to to do what I do. And I certainly hope that I can add something for people who are watching, whether it's in the stands or on social media. Um, I'm passionate about bringing players' personalities to the forefront. And, you know, I will continue to try to do that. And it's been a great 2019. Blair, wait, I want to put Blair on the spot. Blair, other than Shapovalov, what was your one standout moment of the year? Oh, gosh. Um, A lot of nominees. There there are. Well, Nick, go ahead and you you talk about your year, and let me think about my standout moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I think both Blair and I are blah, 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 like very grateful that we get to do this, uh, quite honestly. Um, And that's a little bit of lip service, but it's true. uh, You know, both of us. Um, have a passion for storytelling and have a passion for this sport. Um, and so I was actually thinking about it today. I was like, oh, wow, like I actually, I own my own business and my job is tennis reporting. Like that's, it's kind of a weird, um, it's kind of weird to, to self-reflect in that way. Um, yeah, I don't know, Alex. It's I always feel uncomfortable talking about myself. I um, had a great year. I loved. I think a big highlight for me was U.S. Open Now because it was a new product, and I felt like it was a strong product. And I felt like, to be honest, I felt like I was a strong part of that product. Um, so that was really self-satisfying. Um, I got to do some new things this year. I went to Geneva for. I had done Labor Cup, but I had never been to Geneva for it. That was cool. Um, did some figure skating stuff that I was really happy with. Um, I continue to fall in love with the Charleston event, the WTA event more and more each year. Um, if you guys listening, haven't been to it yet, you should come. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and just sort of counting our blessings along the way and, um, yeah, getting to tell these cool stories. That was very general. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm trying to think of a, you need to think of a highlight really quickly, Nick, but looking back, probably my highlights are one, Um, being able to do fed cup, uh, I did fed cup for the first time this year and kind of to see team Australia, um, uh, for their first, um, when they won their first tie against the U S obviously too bad for the U S but it was just neat to see that team camaraderie and be a part of that. Um, loved sitting down with Roger in Cincinnati. Uh, anytime you get him for more than two minutes, it's, (laughs) it's notable. (laughs) And to be, um, to be able to talk to him right after 
the Wimbledon. I mean, he hadn't really done any press after the Wimbledon final. Um, and so to be able to kind of ask that question, like, how did you get back on the horse? Uh, and to have him really be very honest with his answer, it was just kind of a neat, I, I was appreciative of, of the fact that I was able to kind of go a little bit more in depth with him than I am normally allowed. Um, so that was definitely a highlight for me looking back. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah. No, and I actually... Um, I had to go to my Instagram to be like, what did I do this year? Um, <laughs> I, I, we continued to do these LGBT, these LGB tennis oh, yeah. events. Um, and it was a huge coup for me to get Billie Jean King at Wimbledon. And then we had a, an incredible panel, which I have to thank Michael Fewer, who Blair knows well. But the whole USTA family came together for the US Open one. Um, and that was awesome. Um, and I also, this is very, this is rather personal, but my parents come to Indian Wells every year and it was a very proud moment for me to like be on Indian Wells radio and for my parents to be texting me and being like, you sound great, honey, like way to go, (laughs) which is like often, you know, my mom's like often checking in wherever I am, but like they were physically there listening to the radio product, which was, um, yeah, that was a hashtag blessed moment for sure. Oh, and by the way, side note, Nick, the picture of you and Billie Jean King where she's opening up her jacket is oh, unbelievable. And I hope it's framed in your house. In your oh, I, I need it. I do have my Billie Jean King action hero figurine, which is on my desk right here. She's listening to us right now. Oh, amazing. The picture is amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll offer some lip service to you both. I know I'm speaking for the tennis Twitter community. Tennis fans everywhere who watch your work, you guys were definitely one of the winners of our season. You know, we could not be more grateful for all that you guys do um, and just, you know, from city to city, tournament to tournament. So thank you on behalf of them. Westoff, can I get a round of applause sound effect for them as well? <laughs> well done. Great year for you guys. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I offer you that round of applause, even though the softball of highlight of the year was coming on the mini break. I mean, Nick, you had three, you know, three shots. Come on. Um, but it's okay. What's I'll the, take it. Oh, out. is this the mini break? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, multifaceted menace. Including, uh, I, total... I'm going to call Nick that next time I see him, Alex. Yeah, um, thank oh, you so we... much for having us, Alex. We greatly no, appreciate it. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, of course. Seriously, though, thank you so much for all you guys did. Uh, We'll end with this question. For the next five weeks, how far are you guys staying away from tennis? Far. (laughs) For me. (laughs) Well, I've got a lot of figure skating stuff and, like, Olympic stuff that I'll do the next few weeks. Um, Yeah, I guess the closeness is, like, planning and being in touch with people and catching up and admin. So, but... Yeah, yeah, an arm arm's length distance. How's that? There you go. <laughs> That's good. Will you hit the court, Blair? Come on, you've got to be playing sometimes. I actually just got off the court. As a matter of fact, I'm still I'm still oh. sweaty from hitting this afternoon. Um, and almost, by the way, almost got a win over someone that it's it's. I don't know that I've ever actually taken a set off of him. Um, almost did today and had to cut it short because I wanted to make sure I was here for you guys feeling present and engaged so i i sacrificed for the pod today alex just so you know uh, i really appreciate that blair and to both of you happy thanksgiving happy holidays enjoy your off seasons and hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to you both thank soon. you alex thank Thanks. you